This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hi, this is Sandra McCracken, and you're listening to The Steadfast Podcast. In the previous episode, we talked to Matthew Perryman Jones about how his work as a songwriter was affected by the pandemic in 2020 and what this meant for developing patients. Another area hard hit by COVID was the restaurant industry. Today's episode features a conversation with Mark Canlis, whose family restaurant in Seattle has been a longtime favorite for generations. The restaurant that holds their family name, Canlis, seized the opportunity to try creative solutions in 2020. Mark and his wife, Anne-Marie, joined me to talk about patients, not just in their work as restaurant owners, but in parenthood, hospitality, and leaning toward the good in times of great uncertainty. Thanks for listening. Here's my conversation with Mark and Anne-Marie. You got a restaurant? I will start. Yeah, you got a restaurant. (laughs) I've been there. It's like, it is a really special place. And then there's this like, bigger story around the whole place too, because people talk about the hospitality of this place and have talked about it for so long. And yeah, it's like one big invitation. It's more than just the food, isn't it? I'm hoping so. I mean, (laughs) and maybe it's better, maybe it's more accurate to say like we used to run a restaurant. I I think, Mm -hmm. you know, since March, obviously things are a lot different, but they're only different in sort of what, like what we do every day. I I think the heart of the place, Mm -hmm. the hospitality of the place it's unchanged in spite of this pandemic or whatever else is going on. And so, yeah, yeah, I think that, I think ultimately we're talking about making space for the stranger, making space for the other carving out, um, you know, some, some room such that that person feels invited in. And that's what Mm -hmm. we're going to do. You know, before all this whole pandemic kicked off, you know, 30 weeks ago, that's what we're trying to do with, with, fancy food and wine and, and a view mm-hmm. and stuff. And that's what we're still trying to do so many ideas later. I, again, it's the same, it's the same expression of your heart. It's just, it looks a little different, obviously in a pandemic. Hmm. Yeah. And this has been going for two generations. Like where did it start? Way before us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my, my grandfather opened Canlas in 1950, but his parents had a restaurant in Stockton, California in 1910. They actually cooked for Teddy Roosevelt on a safari in Africa. (laughs) I don't know. Like, but you know, where did your family start cooking? I think we all started cooking a long, long time ago. And Mm -hmm. the first official restaurant in our family is like a hundred, 110 years ago, but Canlis has been there since, since 1950. My parents ran in a long time, you know, 30 years and uh, Mm. do it with my brother and we're both married, so there's the four of us that are sort of mm-hmm. of stewarding this thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's interesting. I read a, I, I was, I was. Let's say last night. Let's just be honest. You fell asleep, kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> I got in the cold, oh, yeah. and so I went to sleep early. So and we Mark call stayed it up. Fight the cold. Is it, is it air quotes. No, no, no. no. Really <laughs> cleaning my desk, yeah. and I came across Matthew's. Uh, letter the christmas newsletter i was like oh i should read this oh. <laughs> sometimes i'm a little late like getting to the family correspondence my yeah. older brother you know he was minister in wenatchee like east of the mountains here anyways mm-hmm. christmas newsletter turns out it's from 2012 and i'm so i'm so <laughs> into it they write this long thing i'm like three pages in before i realize 
it's fully from seven years ago. But at that, at that point, they Amazing. lived in Scotland, and he's talking about he's got this this guy who comes over to the manse, and he's uh, he's a carpenter, and he's fixing like an old wooden chest. And my brother Matt is feeling a little bit sad about leaving Scotland, and he's kind of apologetic apologetic this person in his parish, and and the carpenter says to him, he's like, you know, I, I figured that that ministers are kind of like farmers in the sense that they just they just kind of care for the land and tend for it a little while until the next generation, you know, mm-hmm. tends the land. And if you think of the Scotland, right? So if you think of this is land that's been farmed on for mm-hmm. a thousand or two thousand years. And I I think of um, us maybe in that same situation where it's like if we didn't start the restaurant and mm-hmm burn it down or screw it up we're not we won't be the last one so I, I think of us just sort of caring for it for a season and um and that's what we've been doing mm-hmm. this generation for for 15 or 17 years or something and you know if we're lucky then there'll be another generation that gets to do that also or, or maybe not you, you just mm-hmm. don't know and this pandemic i think has has had us steadily asking that question like okay, right maybe maybe not like maybe maybe we need to do something else and, and our hearts free enough to kind of let go of maybe one vision that we had of the future mm-hmm. and embrace another one and and mm-hmm. the bottom line is you know we don't know <laughs> um, right. trying to have hearts that are sort of able to to hold those two paths concurrently yeah where you've been where you're going what we know what we don't know Mm -hmm. kind of standing in the middle i mean what would you remember being a kid like what was your earliest memory of of the place like of the restaurant three or four and walking in there's a huge fireplace in the entryway and i remember sort of the warmth and the brightness of it and standing Mm -hmm. there and kind of being told or i somehow had this realization that that this weird new big mysterious warm place was ours <laughs> or, or, or you know not i didn't have any sort of ownership of it emotionally or otherwise but i just like oh and you know we had moved up from california my grandfather who ran the place got got sick he had cancer and so there was i just i have just had this memory of standing there and looking around and being like you know what is this place and it was all it was new obviously mm-hmm. us wasn't been there a long time Mm-hmm. And we live close to the restaurant proximity ways. So we're about four blocks away. And mm-hmm. this question has me wondering sort of even what our own kids' memories will be. Yeah. Because they are, are they in there a lot? There often as a family. We go visit Mark. What they mm-hmm. certainly have their birthday dinners there and Christmas and they have a lot of you know, swinging by the office and doing your homework in the office while dad works because mom has a doctor's appointment or something, you know, there's, Mm -hmm. and there's a sense of belonging and home there, but they also are, um, just part of the orbit of our family. Right. Mm -hmm. So you just kind Mm -hmm. of around it. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I think it's going to have, I think they're going to, they're there way more than I was as a kid. Mm -hmm. We lived a little further away growing up, but Mm -hmm. um, this is the, in many ways, that place is the landscape of their youth, mm-hmm. and um, and I think that landscape forms us like really strongly. So we that's something we try to be cognizant of as we're understanding, you know, what their mm-hmm. journey is going to look like. And, mm-hmm. 
Do you imagine them taking that on? Like I think about the what it is to pass something on or pass on a love for what you do to your kids. And like for me with music, I don't want to force them to study it or love it, but I hope they do. And it would be a joy if we kind of shared that or those threads continued and, and like with different temperaments of the kids or different interests, it makes me wonder like, what will they choose to do with it? Mm-hmm. Um, but you want, I guess, what does that look like to invite them in and to help them to understand, yeah, this is, this is your place. And, you know, like with your memory of the fireplace without being heavy handed or yeah. kind of pressuring them. I think the way we talk about it is, is molded in some ways, the way his parents shaped Mark growing up in the sense of we don't know your future. We don't know what gifts you have and what you are going to pursue, but more important than whether or not they have the legacy of the specific restaurant, Mm -hmm. we care about the legacy of the heart. So what are we growing in them? A sense of their own personal journey of authenticity and mm-hmm. honesty and their character and strength and yeah, like loving and serving others. That's the legacy. The, that's, the building, the mm-hmm, company mm-hmm. is not a legacy. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's outside asset, in versus inside and out. It's a burden. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, it can be a blessing and a curse. So I think yeah. that the, the legacy piece is, you know, the character traits that a family passes down. So that, that's what we think of. And, and if we're not, you know, we take this thing, one day at a time, right? Especially now more than ever, you're kind of hearing that. And so if we're not mm-hmm. entitled to tomorrow, then my kids certainly aren't entitled to a mm-hmm. company, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we weren't mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. If, so in order for them to hold it with an open hand, you know, Anne-Marie and I have to figure out how to hold it with an open hand. And that's yeah. what we're trying to do. And I don't, yeah, you're right. It would be so cool maybe if one day, <laughs> they work there, but also like the likelihood of that happening is so low. And I would never want to <laughs> sort of pigeonhole them or shoehorn them yeah. into this lifestyle. I don't know if that's why yeah. they're the planet. And and I wouldn't be so pre- presumptuous right. or arrogant to assume that because, you know, we had babies that one of them is going to run a restaurant. I just feel like that's not, I yeah. don't know, I, I don't I, I wasn't given a crystal ball with the child, right? right, right? right like right, it wasn't right. just sort of like, um, and yet, here's your course, baby, and also here's yeah, its future. Right. So, but yet, of course, we do. We are aware of the the generations of mm-hmm. that we are part of the bigger story of, and mm-hmm. so, of course, there's you know that um, that our kids also just then will will have to consider, but but we consider. Yeah growing them and their character for yeah. anything. Yeah. And like it translates. Whether or not they end up in the restaurant is more situational, <laughs> but they would be prepared in who they are. Yeah. Yeah. Like thinking about the analogy of um, the minister leaving Scotland, like Matt leaving a place and the analogy to the land. I've thought about that even as well. Like it, it does those those, the character development really does um, apply no matter where your vocation, where, where you're calling, what your pursuits are. Yep. Um, so like if hospitality is, is um, one of the things we're shaped by, authenticity is one of the things, you, these are kind of the things you're naming for yourselves, for your work, for your kids, and that we pass on. It makes me think about like this year, 
2020 has been like such an intense year. It's it's almost like boot camp for developing character because we are compressed by mm-hmm. all these different mm-hmm. and new challenges and suddenly even. And then, you know, so if you look back and over even just this little snapshot in the last 30 weeks, which, you know, that goes by that goes by fast. It's fast and slow, right? It's it's Groundhog Day. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. But but this is like, you know, the kids are on the front row watching how we're responding to that. And then we have opportunity to say, like, how are we going to how are we going to move forward? If In your case, you're going from fine dining to it sounds like you've had almost a series of like pop up <laughs> restaurants in a lot. Is that an accurate way to describe it? Yeah, I think, you know, we realized. Well, OK, well, so fine dining doesn't work. Right. So like <laughs> a restaurant and, you know. 20 different people showing up to your table to either set a fork down or bring you a dish or describe something that didn't make Mm -hmm. sense. Right. So yeah, we just kind of asked ourselves, you know, okay, so it's really easy to focus on, on, you know, what we don't have are these like new constraints or what's been taken away from us or freedom Mm -hmm. or um, the liberties that we so just walked around into stores without masks and whatnot. We tried to just say, okay, well, what do we have? Like, what can we be thankful for right now? And yeah. what do we have at our disposal that we can still use and put into play? And mm-hmm. yeah, we started making, we were a burger stand for a while, a drive through burger stand. And then we had a bagel shed, kind of like a breakfast bagel thing. <laughs> and we started delivering dinners. You know, we still had a kitchen and a lot of servers. And we thought, well, shoot, we could just put dinner in their car and they mm-hmm. can drive it to your door. That works. <laughs> Uh, at one point, we um, you appreciate this. We did like a piano live stream, and we had kind of like a oh people around the world like listening in because we thought, all right, well, if we delivered into your home. Would it be cool if you could listen to the piano like when you're back at the restaurant? So those guys would play at night, and we just mm. live stream it. And then we had a bingo show at one point um, for a while. <laughs> Was that, that really happened? Okay, yeah, I heard something yeah, about that. Like, like again, like thousands of people playing bingo. We just thought, okay, well, what are we doing right now? Is to laugh and to play games. What if we yes. put bingo cards in their dinner, and then we'll just host this, you know, goofy Friday yeah. night bingo show thing. And after that, there was a movie theater. We turned our parking lot into a drive-in movie theater. It was a kind of a fundraiser. And then hmm. after that, we did. Uh, and then you had, and then you had like the fires, right? So then there, there yeah, was. Yeah, so we had an outdoor <laughs> parking. We, in our parking lot, we then built a restaurant that we called the Crab Shack, which was awesome. And then the fire came, the smoke and everything. <laughs> um, so we smoked that uh, out. Then the rains came. So we moved back into the restaurant and we opened as a community college kind of offering mm-hmm. some fun classes. My brother and I just thought, you know, this is a great time for learning. All the kids are going back to school and. Um, yeah. And also just looking at the world and kind of saying to ourselves, this is tricky. And um, I think it's easy to kind of have a hardened heart walking through this period and thinking that we know what's right for the country or for our city or for our neighbor, whether or not they should act a certain way. Right. And and we just, mm-hmm. I think we were just kind of overcome with the idea of, no, this is, this is a great time to have a posture of, of learning or which really I think is just sort of the, an open hearted kind of, um, asking the question, all right, what what do I what do I need to take in right now? Like, how do I need to change? Mm. What do I need to be aware yeah. in a new way? And so we started hosting all these classes and putting them online, and um, yeah, so it's been sort of a kaleidos 
gothic journey of different creative ideas to keep the lights yeah. on the candles. And yet, uh, we've just been real blessed that that's kind of worked and through most of it, able to keep most of our staff and, and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it's been a bit of a lot, of but it's been fun. I love it. I mean, it, it, uh, it seems okay. And I've also heard stories. So when I, I mean, just even seeing on your website that there have been collaborations with like fair start and other nonprofits, uh, fundraiser, you know, big table connections with like all these, amazing organizations in the city. Um, I think having, you're, you're talking about like what it is to have a bingo show and to bring some levity to some of the, you know, right. and just, just say like, what do we have versus what do we not have? What I, what I see from like over here in Tennessee, when I look over at what is happening in your neighborhood, I am struck by, um, you don't seem to be operating out of scarcity. You seem to be operating out of the fact that they're like just this, belief that there is abundance and we're going to figure this out. And I see generosity going for it. Like people are still generating um, support for nonprofits, even as you're keeping your staff floating and finding other ways for them to direct their time and energy. Abundance, you know, especially if you're in this country, uh, especially if you're white, especially if you own a business, like we start counting the ways that the things that we do have and, we were just asking ourselves the question, well, okay, is if generosity is a value of ours, then doesn't it have to be a value even when our circumstances change? Like that's to say, yeah. like, I don't think of generosity as a, as a financial word so much as like a condition of your heart, like right. it's a decision. And if it's a value, mm-hmm. then it's a value all the time, not just, you know, when it's <laughs> right. it and the economy's crushing it. It's like, it's a value period. And so we just, started saying, okay, well, what about like, what, what about right now? Like, what if we made the bingo show for charity, you know, or mm-hmm. what if we drive in raise mm-hmm. money for black farmers collective, which it did. And yeah, big table, so many people donated and it wasn't just us. Our donations were really kind of small yeah. compared to the community rallying around mm-hmm. this idea of supporting one another and loving on your yeah. neighbor that way. So I think that one of the things this pandemic has done is reminded us how, alike we all are and you might not get that sense reading the headlines but um and that's where and that's what i was gonna say there's a universal experience that that all of humankind is having with this epidemic being vulnerable and pausing and we all are having to stop and take awareness into a new consideration and so i believe in experiencing our own need there has been a posture of empathy towards others' needs. So yeah. I see an increase in in generosity in considering yeah. others because you can right see now. yourself in their own, story. We're right? all vulnerable all of a sudden. Like yeah. you get you get sick, and I'm like, man, that could be me. And I don't know how different that is from driving on the street yeah. and seeing, you know, one of the homeless citizens of this city and saying. You know, honestly, if I'm really honest with you, that could be me. Like I, I'm a couple mm-hmm. lucky breaks and a couple, yeah. you know, decisions away from being that person. And I think yeah. anytime we can place ourselves in the other person's shoes, it's just kind of it's it's, it's humbling, and it, and I think it allows us to maybe set the the differences aside and just be real for a second and be like, mm-hmm. that's me. 
like in, in another life, in another situation, or maybe with a different set of parents, or maybe with a different something, maybe had the dice just gone another way. Mm-hmm. That's me with COVID. That's me without a job. That's me not getting into school. That's me being on the streets. And and so mm-hmm. I, I think that that's one of the silver linings of this thing is is sort of the the universal awareness of how alike we are. And, yeah. And I think that opens up the doors to our, to our hearts a little bit in terms of just reaching out. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so true. I mean, and it's like in a little small space of the people you live under one roof with, and then it's neighbors. And when you're, I I think even just the simple exercise of having more time in that home space with, um, without Mm -hmm. so much movement. And then all of a sudden we start paying attention to things we weren't paying attention to and talking to people that we haven't had time to talk to and, or sitting on the front lawns or, you know, wherever there's like an open door or a window to the community around you. It's like, that's way more available. Like we're more available to each other than we were. What a crazy idea, right? Yeah. Yeah. We all crave that. We all sort of envision living lives where we actually use our front porches and stop to talk to people walking Mm -hmm. past. But the reality is, in 2019, we were not crushing that as a country. No, we. That's right, and we were on our way to go. We yeah, we were like on in a hurry to go get somewhere so we could go figure out how to do that thing. Yeah, but it was maybe right there waiting for us. Before you know, without even having with your kids, with whoever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And so we've kind of been um, invited strongly, (laughs) forced into um, a slower, different lifestyle where we do get to consider. Okay, yeah. what am I focusing on? What do I pay attention to? What voices do I listen to? How yeah. to my neighbors am I or to my children, to my spouse? So it's so that's so well said. I think I've been trying to put words on that for a few months and I haven't really been able to. Um, but I'm I'm glad to hear that like from you because it just it re- it really validates that ex- this experience because we're there is some loneliness to it. There is certainly been there has been disruption mm-hmm. but then there are these new things that are shimmering kind of beneath that and yeah it takes a little time to be able to see what they are like i think i needed to be disrupted yeah i'm the only one listening to this thing but like there were patterns <laughs> in my work life and home life and mm-hmm. all the different facets of the way that i function that yeah. even though i never would have chosen this for myself or anyone else at the yeah. same time, I got to recognize that some of that disruption is a really good thing. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it, that's the, it's the holding two truths at the same time that I think is so tricky here. But while we mourn and grieve what's broken and lost about this time, I think we can also celebrate the goodness mm-hmm. that can be found inside of it. Or at least we can just focus on that and um, small as it may be or hidden as it may be. You know, for so many of us, it's still there. And so who are we to be focusing on the negative? Or what does that say about my character? If what I bring to you today is everything that's been taken away from me, when what I could be bringing you today is everything I still have to be thankful for and to celebrate. So Mm -hmm. I I just kind of maybe that's just like an internal optimist, just like begging for some good news or something. But yeah, okay. Like (laughs) I think it's deeper than that. I think because I think there's 
when it's paired with authenticity, like when you're not pretending that something isn't really as, mm-hmm. as painful as it is, or that something isn't actually disruptive, that's when you're just an optimist. But it doesn't sound like optimism as much as it sounds like real hope to say there's always going to be something mm-hmm. pulling us, you know, that thread that's pulling us into um, a good future, you know, and there's, yeah, I guess that's, I, that's what I love when I hear you all talk about it. And you, and it seems like it's coming out of, of, of the place, like a really deep place in your family and in your family mm-hmm. life together. And it's really just a special, I think being able to talk to you both as a married couple, I think that's like, we get a window into what collaboration looks like by demonstration, even as you guys answer questions and think through these, mm-hmm. these things together on the, you know, like off the cuff. We'll be right back to the conversation with Mark and Anne-Marie in a moment. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your master's or certificate program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu slash admit. How long have you guys been married? How did you guys meet? We've been married 17 years next month. Yeah. So oh, congrats. November 03. Yeah. And we met on a blind date. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, in New York City. In New York City. Mm-hmm. So we, um, you know, kind of, we, we did not live in Seattle, but, but pretty quickly found ourselves living mm-hmm. there. And by that, I mean, I moved without you. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we realized I didn't want to do that. So a lot of rain, went back and proposed. And so we, were, we came out here in 2003. So we've been doing this. Yeah, together ever since, and it's and it's together apart. I mean, the restaurant is a world. Is a yeah, sort of a, pretty full time. Yeah, and and so is raising three kids, and so yeah, yeah. Um, but it, I, both of those things are team sports. Even if you're not, you're not both on the field at the same time. You know what I mean? So yeah, um, mm-hmm. it, and I think that I think what happens at work forms me at home, and what happens at home mm-hmm. forms me at work, mm-hmm. and vice versa. Do you guys cook together as a family? You have a favorite thing that you love to order in or like, you know, rituals like that, that you guys do with the kids and with everybody at home. Oh man. Mm. Yeah. My favorite thing is Anne-Marie cooking. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I love, love it. Our home cooking. Yeah, uh, Mark is a great cook and, and he's a creative cook and he's confident and he brings good energy, but I do a lot of the, I'm Italian and I bring a lot of my, uh, heritage of my family and sense of home and sense of place and gathering on the mm-hmm. table to our home yeah, there's and like to our re- kids. There's like real <laughs> cooking, which is like <laughs> cooking. And then there's like weekend warrior glorified cooking, which is like what someone does on a grill for an hour. So there's two different yeah. sort yeah. of yeah. things here. Um, but no, I, I think meals at home, we'll do takeout like anyone. I just think that's like such a gift to have someone just yeah. drop it off. And yeah. But a big old meal at home is one of our favorite things. Yeah. Last night we had a friend was up in Alaska and they dropped off a big old side of salmon and we just got a chance mm-hmm. to smoke it. And, <laughs> um, I think that is like 
one of the most glorious things on the planet. So mm-hmm. Kind of celebrating that fish. but I would say the ritual of sitting down to the table, for, of setting a table, of sitting, yeah. of looking at each other face-to-face, of keeping distractions off the table, and then mm-hmm. allowing there enough space in yeah. the meal for conversation to evolve or to come up and mm-hmm. being intentional about questions we ask, t- topics we ask. I think that's where a lot of bonding and growth and connection happens and mm-hmm. you prioritize that. You gotta fight for it. It's almost like you need a big meal just so that you can get all the junk out of the way such that you're still <laughs> able when a good conversation finally happens. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, wow. that's true. That space and then, but if the meal is big enough, yeah. Well, even the you exercise, get to that sweet spot of like good conversation. Right. Even the exercise of clearing the table of the papers mm-hmm. and the mail and the science project and the half done painting. <laughs> yeah, the, cord, the cord that the I can't find done. the other part too. Yeah. You, know, you, really you make space for it. Yeah. Or the mentally and physically in order to then replace it with what mm-hmm. the intention is which is the hope and expectation that there will be relational connection you know it's, over you're clearing time on your calendar like the, you know it's a it I, I do think it's a making space for mm-hmm. the meal and making space for the other people and coming to that table in a posture of okay let me set aside the million things that are going through my head yeah no, so uh, we have a friend out here john medina he's a doctor he's a brain scientist and um at the university of washington anyway he was doing a study that that, that he wrote a couple of books called brain rules for kids brain rules and um and so in talking to him we were having a conversation just around executive function and how you know every parent wants their kid to develop yeah. like high ability to, you know I don't know. I don't know. Extra Emotional maturity and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, he goes, look, the number one thing you can do mm-hmm. for children is to uh, regularly set aside time together at the table. Mm-hmm. Like that's to say that families that have meals together, regardless of breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Yeah. Families that, that sit and make space for one another at the table routinely have children with higher scores and uh, executive function mm-hmm. than others. And it didn't matter what you were eating. It didn't matter the level it just it, mm-hmm. like nothing else mattered other mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. than than a parent and the kid it didn't matter if it was one or two parents it was mm-hmm. this whole yeah. thing of mm-hmm. the family comes together routinely for a meal and it was the routine that made it powerful as my understanding so it wasn't mm-hmm. like oh, seven dinners a night you know no right. like it was like hey, this is what we do as a family and that child starts to rely on it in a way that hugely establishing mm-hmm. um, kind of who they're becoming wow, and right. powerful. emotional safety. And, and I was, I was thinking about this conversation with you, Sandra, I was thinking about the concept of patience and um, been listening to your music, but the, and then the other word that kept coming to mind, which I think is related to this, these moments that we're trying to accomplish, you know, in our home. And then also just the new way that um, COVID has, has brought the need into each of our homes is just this idea of presence Mm -hmm. and what does it look like to we're all together we're in a forced togetherness Mm -hmm. a smaller space quarantine but are we present are we mentally present are we spiritually present are we emotionally present and and no one is capable of doing that all the time there's um there's numbing of course there's you know survival skills but also then coming to terms with um, the patience 
to be present Mm -hmm. is actually leading to a lot of goodness or the presence to be patient like both it's restorative i think and when we're not present uh we're drained we're draining ourselves and when we're able to be present to our situation yeah i think um it is it is a filling up and a restoration Mm -hmm. and and if we're going to be patient um we've that i think that comes best from when we're in a filled up place Mm -hmm. so Yes. When we're able to sort of embrace the fact, it's like, okay, and here we are. <laughs> uh, yeah. And this is okay, you know, and this too is also going to be okay. Like, how do I embrace? Right. And isn't that the situation we're in all the time yeah. anyway? Right. And then it's like a microcosm of this, mm-hmm. but all mm-hmm. the time we're forced into places or situations that mm. maybe we didn't ask for, or maybe we wouldn't choose if mm-hmm. we had a magic wand. Mm-hmm. And yet, here we are. And so I think if you, if we spend our lives longing for something that we don't have, mm-hmm. then we lose the beauty of the things that we do. Right. Mm-hmm. So how do we present, mm-hmm. how do we be present mm-hmm. to what we, what we do have? Or even mm-hmm. I could say to be more personal, like to who I am today, yeah. not that I don't long to grow or long to change mm-hmm. tomorrow, but mm-hmm. how do I accept and love myself for who I am right now? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what stories am I telling about myself? That maybe aren't as true, or what headlines am I reading about myself that maybe I shouldn't be dwelling on? Mm. Like, I just, I just wonder how we're being. I, yeah, I think you're a good point. There. Like, how are we being present to and our I, current place? And actually, even those micro moments of being present, mm-hmm. I actually they fill us up to go the endurance race. Yeah. Of what this pandemic is going to take out of us corporately and individually, because it is a long emotional journey and we are partway through. And there are the ups and downs. There are the hard days or the days where the limitations feel a little suffocating. There's also, I have found, you know, and we have found as a couple, and then I think individually, when we are able to be present and be filled up by what is, Mm -hmm. then we have the stability to support our kids, support our neighbors, and then also look ahead to this long endurance road with intention mm-hmm. rather than panic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, if you try to look too far down, you get overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, the right. image of the table, if, if, if we talk about what it is, means to have healthy executive function, it makes sense that if we're sitting at the table together regularly, both in families and in, you know, in whatever ways we can during this time when we're all still kind of socially distant, there's nourishment and there's eye contact, there's intentionality, and there's like provision of actual food right in front of you. And it kind mm. of, it's so, it's not just ideas, it's actually practice, you know, it's, we're, practicing something that's working itself out in our bodies in our on a cellular level it's like okay we're actually being nourished and we have an opportunity to talk to each other and we're looking each other in the eye and it seems like that i love calling micro moments like that actually is a real encouragement to me because i think um it's just going by really fast right now. And there's a lot that happens in the day and you don't really know what day it is. Sometimes you're like, is it, I don't know. Is it Tuesday? Was it, I don't even know. (laughs) Yeah. But the micro moments are, um, are little like 
breadcrumbs kind of leading us forward on a on a path that eventually leads us where we need to go. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm like, I'm also wondering, I'm ready to be done with this. Like today would be a good day for that. Yeah. But I'm also wondering <laughs> yeah, yeah. how am I going to look back on this time and what pieces will I miss? Yeah. yeah. Like none of our kids are playing sports right now. Okay. Um, and that's a bummer because we grew up playing and we love it. And it's so good mm-hmm. to get outside. <laughs> yeah, so healthy. Okay. Also, um, you know, how much do I love not sitting in traffic? You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, or like yeah. how much do I love yeah. all of us having a simpler schedule and having yeah. time to read out loud to our kids? Yeah. Or, yeah. So I think there's this, so if we can be present to the, to those things that we have right now, mm-hmm. how is it going to fill us up? But I think it allows us to look back and be proud of how we navigated this time and also to feel like we didn't miss out yeah. on what mm-hmm. was good about this time. So yeah. it's just this, it's like, it's like no one, no one chose this. It's what we got. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I guess that's the patience part. I think that's like, you know, it's, it's almost hard to understand what that word means or how to ask a question about it, but we're experiencing it. And it's the flip of what do we have versus what do we not have? Well, you're out of control, right? I mean, that's the thing with patience is that if we had the ability to fix it, we probably wouldn't. Like, yeah. But right now, you know, I'm not, and as far, <laughs> I don't know you that well, but I don't think you have the ability to come up with a vaccine, right? right? And, and nor you're are correct. we in charge of auction, and nor are we in charge of like <laughs> world politics, hunger in East Africa, right? So, so many things yeah. are out of our control. So um, I think we find ourselves face to face with the reality of our world, whether it's broken or despondent or hard to hear. Mm-hmm. And we say to ourselves, like, man, I can't, I can't fix that. And I think when you say the word patient, what comes to mind is, is sitting in that and, and knowing it's like, Hey, that's not my role to fix. Mm-hmm. And it's my role to be present with the people around me and it's to play my little micro part mm-hmm. and to accept that and to kind of, and to be okay with it. And to know if you're a person of faith, to know like, Hey, this isn't outside of God's plan necessarily. Right. Like this is the mean, just cause I read something in the headlines that I can't control. Out, right. Like he's out of control. Right. And I think it's a wrestling with that. Yeah. Um, back and forth of like, all right, this is not the way I would write the script, and also, I'm not the author. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna just choose to be okay. And I think. Yes, for sure, and and to some degree, it's like we're made with agency, and we, you know, God gives us that and sends us out into the world to do these things, and then we come up against these roadblocks or like substantial losses, and in those moments, we have to go back mm-hmm. to Him and say. I don't know what's happening, but I, this is bigger than I am. And those are the moments that we have to continue the dialogue with him. When we remember we are actually dependent, we are made to be dependent and connected to each other and to him, you know? And I guess that's Mm -hmm. like, sometimes I resist that because I just, I just want to, you know, figure it out and move on, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, but the good stuff is really in, in the waiting and in the, like you were saying in the very begin beginning, Emory with, just the development of your character, the the legacy of the heart, the this is what it really comes down to. And that happens 
it, that happening is not contingent on our circumstances, you know, and whether it's fine dining or burgers or, you know, bingo or <laughs> whatever creative yeah. form that's going to take. And um, that's the good news yeah. is yeah. like, it can be any other, any sort of way that that happens is, is acceptable. Right. Cause it's, <laughs> it's the good news. Yeah. Your values are, are not um, dependent on your circumstances. Yeah. And I, I mean, what a, what a great time to be reminded. Yeah, it really is. Or like as much as I don't want to be. I know. I know. It's so good. Yeah. Well, it's so good to talk with you guys today. I think it's been um, just personally such an encouragement because I can think of, you know, a dozen ways, even this week, things that don't feel like the pandemic, pandemic related, but essentially the, this is like the human experience. And as I hear you guys yeah. talking, I'm so encouraged and even just taking notes of like, wow, it's going to be all right, you know, <laughs> and I can hear it when I hear you say it. So I'm grateful for you. That is the truth. Likewise. <laughs> hey, honestly, I was just thinking like, wouldn't it be great if we just record this and we could just play back yeah. her talking. <laughs> 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 I feel like we've it's, it's a rainy moment. day. We play the we'll Sandra recording. <laughs> this is really <laughs> rich. There's the talent with the resources yeah, that we yeah. have to meet the challenges and yeah. what do you think? just checking in. It's a reminder of what we have, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well so Thank you. When, when we are, um, when we're on the other side of this and it's easier to move from here to there, I really hope we can sit together around a table and continue the conversation. Steadfast is created by Sandra McCracken, our producer, Leslie Eiler Thompson, and editor, John Fletcher, in partnership with Christianity Today. I'm Sandra McCracken. Thank you for listening. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.